Uh, well, this morning we are continuing in the book of Hosea. If you're new here with us, we've been in Hosea for a little while. Today we're in chapter 10, uh, verses 9 to 15. Uh, now, I don't know this for sure, uh, but I think, I think, uh, that the most common kind of, of uh, metaphor or image that is used in the Bible to describe a person of faith, I think it's usually uh, something agricultural, right? If you think of kind of how Jesus spoke, all the examples that he used, it was very often something to do with trees or plants. There's the parable of the soils, the parable of the wheat and the tares. There's a barren fig tree or mustard seed. Uh, Jesus talks about us as trees, that we are trees that bear good fruit or bad fruit. Uh, Paul talks about the church as like a field that needs to be planted and watered and, and grows. And one of the main images that we see uh, really from, uh, I sort of looked to this week in the Bible, from the book of Job all the way to the book of Galatians, uh, is this uh, image of sowing and reaping, right? Like this harvest imagery. In fact, uh, Hosea already mentioned this in chapter 8. If you remember, he talked about sowing the wind, reaping the whirlwind. And so you have this idea. But today, uh, he, he develops it even more fully. And, and we should be really glad that he does because uh, it's essential that we understand the, the nature in our own lives of, of sowing and reaping so that we might actually grow in the way that God would want us to grow. So the title of today's message is, is The Harvest of Life. And the question that we're going to address is basically, how can we grow a spiritual harvest in our lives? By that, I mean uh, godliness, spiritual maturity, intimacy with God, all, all of those good things. Now, I recognize that this is a bit of an assumption, like meaning maybe you're not that interested in growing that kind of a harvest in your life. You may be here because you're just interested in the church. Maybe someone forced you to, maybe you're going for lunch after. I don't know. I'm glad you're here, whatever the reason. But I would say to you uh, that all of us, all of us are growing some sort of harvest in our lives. This dynamic of, of sowing and reaping is true for all of us inside and outside of the church. And so we should at least be concerned with what kind of a harvest it is. And that's kind of where the text leads us. So let's read it, and then we'll, we'll begin to unpack it. This is starting at verse 9. From the days of Gibeah, you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them. The nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck, but I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow, Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. Just as Solomon destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle, mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel, because of your great evil. At dawn, the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. So that's God's word to us this morning. Uh, the central idea in this passage is that there are two very different kinds of harvests. And you see that kind of in the middle of the passage. That's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Uh, verse 12 talks about a harvest of righteousness. Verse 13 and 14, a harvest of sin and, 
and destruction. These are pictures of, you know, two very real and very different kinds of life. Uh, Hosea doesn't just describe the harvest, though. He describes like the process, the, the sowing and the reaping. He makes it clear there's this chain of causation between how we live, that's like the sowing, and, and then the things that grow in our lives, that's, that's the reaping. And we see this in, in the lives of those around us, maybe in our own life. Uh, for example, someone who, who sows dishonesty into their life, right? Who, who lives in a dishonest way, makes a practice of, of dishonesty and, and lying, they will, they will most likely reap out of that dishonesty. Uh, it's not just that they live that way. Actually, they will experience that kind of growth in their, in their life, right? They will probably become more and more dishonest or at least will practice it more and more because they, they tend to make a connection between lying, getting what you want, and that will, that will increase. But other things will increase too. Like there'll be probably a, a greater sense of mistrust in the people in their lives. As, as people begin to realize this is someone who doesn't, you know, really always say what they mean or actually do what they say or actually... Is, is honest and truthful, there will be a sense of mistrust and that will, that will grow uh, more distrust and more animosity because the person themselves will tend to get, you know, kind of bent out of shape. Why are you always suspicious of me? Right? Why don't you, why don't you trust me? Why don't, why don't you believe me? They'll get, they'll get a chip on their shoulder and think everyone's always out to get them. All of these things will grow in their lives because of the, the seed that was planted. That's what, that's what it's talking about, what the Bible means by the sowing and, and the reaping. But, but for the per person of faith, there is the possibility of an entirely different kind of harvest. A harvest of godly character, a harvest of harmony, of, of, of actually intimacy with God and with the people in our lives. But the whole point of the metaphor is that that kind of a harvest, that kind of good growth doesn't just happen. It takes time and, and it takes knowing what you want to grow in your life and how to have it grow effectively. So if you're a Christian this morning, hopefully the what is fairly clear. Like meaning if you read through the Bible, if you kind of consider what it is, the vision that God has for our lives, it's, it's a harvest of, it's a spiritual harvest where we are growing in the way God wants us to, where our faith is stronger, where our sense of obedience is growing, our holiness, all of these good things. Those are the things that clearly God wants us to grow in and hopefully we want the same. But the how, the how is a challenge. And for the how, we're going to look to some insights from Hosea. He's got four of them that really do help us to understand how we put these two together. So, how do we grow a spiritual harvest is the question. Uh, here's the first thing we see. We need to break up the hard ground of our hearts. The hard ground of our hearts. Uh, let's begin in verse 11, where it says, Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Uh, now, all those names, uh, we've, we've mentioned this before, Ephraim, Judah, Jacob, those are all just names for God's people. They have lots of different names for some reason. I Israel is another name. God is saying, look, in the beginning of, of his walk with them, uh, they were kind of like a trained calf, okay? Meaning the obedience, the compliance, it was fairly easy. And this is probably referring to the the seasons in Israel's history when things were relatively easy, like when they were saved out of Egypt, they came across to great joy, right? They're, they're, following the Lord was, was easy when he's leading you away from slavery and you see the power of God. 
when they first built the tabernacle and the glory of God descended upon it, I mean, that, that'd be easy to obey God in that moment. You see his, his power. When they t- first took the promised land, it was hard to get there. Once they did it, man, joy, of course we're going to follow God. There's, there's an ease and a naturalness that would come to their kind of obedience and their sense of faith. And I think that, that you could say that happens, I think, in our lives as well. Uh, the difference between us uh, having faith as a, as a young child, right? If we're raised in a Christian home, there, there tends to be a difference between that kind of a faith and that experience with the Lord and then when you move into adulthood. When you're young, faith seems relatively natural and easy. Like it's just, it's presented to you. This is, this is kind of how our family works. This is what we do and we, we accept it. Of course, there's discipline and we're disobedient as children. But in general, it, it makes sense. That if your parents say this makes sense, if you come to church, this is what we will do. But as as a teenager, and then into our adult years, the yoke of faith, I think, seems heavier and seems more difficult. Partly because, you know, life just gets more complicated, gets harder. But I think also because we tend to get harder, too. Uh, let's read verse 12. Verse 12, uh, God says to the, to the Israelites, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. That image of fallow ground, uh, I think is really helpful. Fallow ground is like ground that hasn't been touched by a plow for years and years and years. So it's very hard, very compact. It's not good for planting. And what God is saying is, look, this is what can happen to our hearts, spiritually speaking. This is how we begin before faith. But even after faith, we can, there can be seasons where we're very, very hard. Uh, Jesus had a whole parable about this idea, the parable of the soils, right? There's four soils. Uh, only one of them is good. The three bad ones, uh, one of them is a path. It's all hard packed. Another one's all full of stones. Another one's got thorns and, and that kind of thing. But the common thread between them is that this is uncultivated land. Like it's land where no one has come and cleared the brush or, or dug up the rocks or plowed the soil. It's, it's, it's just hard. And so the, the seed of God's word, when it lands anywhere in this kind of land, it just never flourishes, it never grows. Either the birds come and take it or the, the roots don't grow. It's, it's, it's not a fruitful land because of the hardness of the soil. And if the soils were left in that state, they would, they would never grow a good harvest. And frankly, I think this is true of many of us when it comes to our faith. That we never, we never get to the point of actually having deep roots of actually being even able to grow an abundance and a harvest of faith. We may, we may say that we're interested in faith. We may even start to do some of the, like the planting, gardening, Christian-y kind of work, right? Uh, a little prayer here and there, a little reading here and there, maybe coming here every now and again. But really, really, we are not willing to break up the hard soil of our hearts. And so there's really nothing growing in a genuine and abundant way. When I was a teenager, uh, I used to listen to uh, Larry King on the radio. Uh, for those of you who are younger, Larry King uh, is a, was a uh, broadcast journalist. He had a TV show on CNN. He had a, a radio talk show every night. And I would listen in. Sometimes I would call in. I can't remember what I said. But it was this thing where anyone could call in and talk about anything. But he would also interview a lot of people. And I remember uh, I came to faith in my teen years. And I started to notice that whenever Larry would have someone who was a Christian on his show, he was very sympathetic. 
he seemed very positive about, the, about these people. And I remember one time, I think he was interviewing uh, Pastor John MacArthur. I remember at the end, he said to him, you know, Pastor John, I just, I really admire your faith, your faith in God. Man, I, he said, I wish I had that kind of faith. And I thought, man, that's such an interesting thing, that here would be a man who, who wishes that he had faith. Now, from what I knew of God at the time, God wants everyone to believe. And here's a man who's saying, I wish I would believe, and, but he doesn't. I thought, well, how does that happen? Like, why, why isn't that an easy fix where that faith would just grow and flourish? And as I thought about it uh, over the years, I mean, there could be lots of reasons, but I think probably at, at the base level, while Larry King said that he wished he had faith, there was a deeper part of him that didn't actually want faith. Like what I mean is I, I think he was probably interested in Jesus, but, I, but it didn't seem like he was desperate for Jesus. And so there was no real root of faith that grew. Now we need to be clear about how someone is saved. Okay, the, the Bible is very clear. God is the one who saves us from our sin. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He chose us before the foundation of the world. We, we were dead in our sin. And yet God made us alive spiritually through the power of his spirit. God is always the one who overcomes our, our uh, hard, stony hearts for faith to take root. That's just how it works. But what does that look like from our point of view? Like, how do we experience that? Well, our experience of that is that there is a moment where we all of a sudden are clear about our need for Jesus. That, that we see the, the depth of our sin we see, we see where it's leading. We see the hopelessness of us trying to bring any sense of joy or peace or into our lives, certainly in the life to come. And so seeing that, we turn to Jesus, the one who went to the cross to take care of our sin, to, who died and, and rose again. That, that is the essence of faith, that we see our need for Christ and we turn to him. And that's what we see in our text in terms of what it means to break up our heart. Look at verse 12. It says, break up your fallow ground for it is the time to seek the Lord. That is the beginning of faith. But not only the beginning of faith, that is how faith grows. Okay, if we, if we want faith, we need to seek the Lord. Be, be desperate for Christ. See that there is no other hope for us. That we, on our own, despite all of the resources you might have in this world, we are headed for a life and then a death that is absent of hope apart from Christ. We need to have that sense of seeking the Lord, but that is also how we grow in faith. See, any time and every time that we turn away from God, we are going to stop growing. We, we, we need to remain in Christ. In fact, that's the language that Jesus uses when he describes like, how we should grow. Uh, this is from John 15, a uh, little bit of a different agricultural image. Where he's a vine now, we're a branch, but it's the same idea. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the question that is before us in light of what we see here in Hosea is, is are we willing, are we eager have the Spirit of God break up the fallow ground within our hearts? Like, like, are we just kind of, you know, nominally interested in faith? Like, just like the idea of it, or do we see that our need for it? Because it's only when we are desperate for the Lord and we see the hopelessness of our situation that the hardness of our heart will really be churned up by the Spirit of God. 
And when that happens, we have a faith that begins to grow. And when it continues to happen, the, the abundance of spiritual life can flourish within us. This is what we're being told we need to do. God says you, ha- you have to break up the hardness of heart. Whatever it is rooted in, stubbornness, pride, just, just a sense of contentment with the barrenness of our life, a sense of, of ease with the things of the world, you will never get a harvest that grows spiritually unless you come to the point of being humbled before Christ. So we need to break up the hard ground of our hearts. Secondly, we need to sow good seeds. Uh, the central point of comparison is basically between these, these two harvests, which come from these two seeds. Uh, let's take a look again. Verse 12, a harvest of righteousness and God's blessing. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Verses 13 and 14, uh, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way, in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, the tumult of war shall arise among your people and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. So iniquity is sin, sowing sin brings destruction. You would, you would think that no one would want this second kind of harvest, right? I mean, who, who wants these things? Who wants injustice, lies, destruction in their life? No one wants that. Anyone you talk to. But I think we also know that it's all around us. Everywhere we look, in our lives and the lives of, of people around us. So why is that? Why is it that you would... You would say to anyone, what kind of a you know, harvest do you want in your life? Do you want these things? They would say, no, I don't want them, but it's still happening. What's the disconnect? Well, there's probably lots of reasons for that, but I think one of them is I, I don't know that we really pay attention to what kinds of seeds we're actually planting in our lives. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with seeds, but I have some because uh, we have a garden in our backyard and uh, Don is the gardener, but... I've seen the seeds, and I know they exist, and I looked at them because it's garden planting time and Dunn's ordering more seeds, and I looked at the kinds we have in our little seed bucket, and uh, they have all different names um, for these things. Uh, We have cosmic purple carrots in our uh, bin. We have green beans. We have kale. We have butter crunch lettuce. We have all these things, but what I noticed is that if you take the seeds out of the package, it's really hard to tell the difference between the seeds, first of all, and it's really hard to remember what seeds go with what. In fact, uh, at least once, not often, at least once, I remember Don saying, you know, I thought I planted something different in this row, but the seeds got mixed up, and it, it makes sense. It's, it's way easier to tell the difference between vegetables when you see the vegetable. It's harder when it's just a little seed. We, we can get confused, and it's the same thing in our lives. We sow seeds in our lives. We do certain things and we think that they are going to be a blessing. We think they're going to be good. And yet the harvest that comes is very often much different to the point that we're disorientated. We can't believe that this is what our lives are like. And, and it's tough to make the connection between what was sown. I remember one time uh, there's a young married couple that came to uh, talk with Don and I. We had uh, done marriage prep with them. They'd been married a few years and there was a situation they wanted to talk about. And so they came, and the situation was uh, that the husband had started on his way home from work. He would go and buy a small bottle of vodka, and he would go home, and they would you know, do family life, and then his wife would go to bed early, and he would sit and he would drink the bottle of vodka and just kind of pass out every night. And uh, eventually, uh, his wife found out, and she, that's why they were there. She's very upset at the, at the deceit, at the, the, the drinking, all this, and he was remorseful, right? He's like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. But I said to him, why, like, why were you doing that? 
And I never forget his answer. He said, ah, you know, it just felt really good. Seemed, seemed really good. Right? Th- think of his mindset. This, this feels good. It feels good at the end of the day with all the pressures I have just to be able to kind of forget about everything, to just drift off in a haze of, of kind of the, the drinking, and it seemed like a good thing, that seed. But actually, the harvest that came from it was not good at all. It was a harvest of, of animosity, of mistrust in his marriage, right? Of, of, of sinfulness that he was sowing into his relationship of distance from his wife, distance from God, of, of the shame of experiencing all this and, and also whatever it was doing to his liver. A lot, of, a lot of negativity. Not the kind of harvest that if you talked to him, he would want in his life, but that was the kind of seed that he was sowing. This is a challenge for us to, to grasp and actually put into practice. But we see this, this larger principle of sowing and reaping throughout the Bible. Here's... Um, Here's it explained again, I think maybe more clearly in Galatians. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Again, two different kinds of seeds, two different kinds of sowing, two different kinds of reaping. And he's saying, you can't, you can't get one from the other. You can't sow into the flesh and get a spiritual abundance. It doesn't work that way. But notice also what Paul says. He says, don't be deceived. Deceived by who? By whom? Whom? By whom? <laughs> who is deceiving us? It's, it's, it's us. We're the ones who deceive ourselves. It's our own sinful desires our own sinful impulses. It's also the devil and his demons that are we're tempting us, but it's, it's us. We are the ones who allow ourselves to be deluded in thinking that the planting, the, the, the seeds of the world into our lives over and over again, that we're actually going to somehow grow spiritually. In fact, what the Bible says very clearly, and if we were looking, what we would see in our lives is that when you sow in the flesh, you, you only get corruption and you get death. Like eternal death. And this is what we see in the, in the beginning and end of our passage. Okay, the bookends. Right? The bookends are about sin and judgment. And uh, I'll put them up there. If you look at the first one, we have a reference to Gibeah, which we've talked about before. Uh, Gibeah was uh, an event of horrific sin and violence. It was an episode where a woman in the town of Gibeah, she was traveling through, she was taken from her home, she was violated sexually, she was murdered, and then her husband, who came the next morning, found her dead, was, was incensed, and, and he, he cut up her body and sent it around Israel to stir up her, this, this civil war. I mean, it was just sin upon sin and the judgment of the people. People were outraged. How could this happen in Israel? They came and they basically wiped out the town of Gibeah. Violence, sin, judgment is everything that would come to mind when he mentions this name. If you jump down to the end of the passage, you see a similar kind of thing. But this time it's violence from outside of Israel. It's, it's a violent attack from an Assyrian king named Shalman who ransacked Israel. And, and the point for the people at the time was basically, look, look Israelites. You, you remember these episodes in your history. If you think that kind of judgment was bad, you have no idea about the justice of God that is coming against you because of your sin. He's saying there is always a harvest of judgment for those who persist in sin. It's what we've seen all through Hosea and we're reminded of it again in this, in this passage. And the point is that we need to pay attention 
to what kind of seeds are being sown in our lives. Or we will never grow in the right ways. We will never grow spiritually. And in fact, we may be sowing destruction into our lives for all of eternity. So, so what then are the good seeds? What, what are the good things that we should be planting into our lives? Well, I'll tell you right now that it is not rocket surgery, okay? It's not complicated. It's not fancy. It's stuff that we know. If you've been part of the church at all, it's the regular spiritual disciplines that we talk about all the time in the church. Spending time in the Word of God. I mean, this is, this is what Jesus describes as the seed and all those metaphors. The, the seed is the Word of God that's planted in our hearts. We need to spend time in it. Not, not, just, not just reading it, not just you know, a few minutes here and there, but actually prayerfully asking the Lord, would, would you help me, Holy Spirit, to understand what is being said here about you, about God, but also about myself? Would you help me to have a soft heart, to not be, you know, not be stone-hearted, to actually receive what is being said and allow the Spirit to convict me so that I will actually change and repent and confess? We need to be consistent in prayer. Not just going through our list, which is good, praying for people, but actually desperate before the Lord for the areas of our life that just don't seem to change, for the people in our lives that seem far from the God. We also need to spend time worshiping together. That's why we come here every week. May it be the joy of our hearts to come and worship the Lord and be together and actually be in community. That's why God gave us the church, made us as a community of faith, as a family, so that we would actually know each other, like beyond the, the lobby stuff, so that we would actually have someone in our community of faith that knows our story, knows our deepest parts of ourselves, so they can actually pray for us in a way that is effective and intentional, and we can pray for them. All of those things are the seeds, are the, the, the ways in which we can grow and flourish as a people. But the challenge with those things, I think, is that we know them already, and that they probably seem kind of stale, frankly. Like, if you think about every application for pretty much every sermon, it's one of those things, right? What do we do? Come to church more, pray more, read your Bible more, Confess sin more. I know. I heard you last week. I, I get it. Is there, I know that. But the problem with that kind of response is, I mean, imagine if you went to the doctor and you weren't feeling great. You're like, doctor, I just don't feel I have energy. And he said, well, look, here's what you need to do. I've done all your blood tests. You, you need to exercise more, right? You need to eat healthier. You need to get more rest. And you might say, I know that. <laughs> yes, I've heard that. I know. The doctor would say, it's great that you know it. Are you doing it? When, like, have you gone for a jog lately? Have you eaten any kale? Have you, like, have you done something? Have you gone to bed early? Are you, right? A harvest of righteousness is only going to come when we actually are sowing the seeds that we know are good for us. And that means seeking the Lord in a genuine way. It means the, the practice, the discipline of doing these things, even when we don't feel like it, even when we just want to sleep in, that, that we're convinced in our mind and our heart, no, actually, I want, I want life. And that means being connected in an ongoing, genuine way to Christ himself through his spirit, through his word. Just as bad seeds will bring a bad harvest, sowing spiritual disciplines and spiritual habits into our lives will bring a harvest of God's blessing. Now, just to be clear, uh, that harvest of God's blessing does not mean an easier life. There are some times, this is explained, right, how this works, that 
that you'll hear in churches. Look, if you do these things, then God will bless you. It's going to be great. You're going to be healthy and prosperous. That, that's not the promise. It's a better promise. The promise is that you will grow spiritually, that, that your character will grow in godliness, that your intimacy with Christ will grow, that, that, you, will, that you will have a strength that, that makes you unshakable even in the challenging times of life, that you will be prepared for heaven itself, where you will step into the, the presence of the glory of God. This is what we see in our passage. Look at verse 12 again. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Right? The, the, the spiritual wealth that he has for you. It's, it's not just that you're going to get more money in your bank account. It's not going to help you in the time to come. God has better things for us in store. We need to begin by seeing those things as better. Seeing them as more valuable. And we need to recognize that this is how the harvest grows. The dynamic is one of us through obedience, but through his power, doing, doing the things that God has called us to do. So think for a moment, I would invite you, think for a moment about what kinds of seeds you're actually sowing in your life. Like what kind of seeds have you been planting? Do you, do you think you even are very good at telling the difference between the, the seed and the harvest? Like if there's things in your life that you know are destructive or unhelpful, can you see where they began? Are you able to make the, the connection? And, and what do you really want to see grow in your life? We need to sow good seeds if we want a good harvest. Third thing. Third thing is we need to embrace pruning. Uh, every gardener or landscaper knows that pruning is essential to fruitfulness. Okay, trees, if they're just left to grow on their own, they, they grow big, but they are not uh, productive because all the energy from the tree goes into growing branches out here and things that way when really we want the energy to go into producing the fruit. And so a good gardener will, will shape the tree and cut off the extra limbs so that the fruit will grow. In fact, uh, that's what Jesus says. Uh, again, back in John 15, again with the vine, uh, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. So pruning is necessary, and pruning is evidence of a gardener who actually cares for his garden. It's, it's evidence of love. It's intentional. But of course, pruning is also painful. The image of like a sharp blade cutting through parts of the tree, lopping off limbs, uh, it is a good picture of what happens in our life. In our life. Uh, God brings adversity into our life, pain, challenge, difficulty, because he's trying to expose certain parts of our lives that, that need to get cut off, uh, certain, certain dispositions of mind and heart, right, that, that are hard or stony, that are unfruitful, that are sinful. He's saying this, this part, you need to get rid of it, and, it, and it rarely feels good, and it rarely happens in the way that we want it to happen. If you're a Christian and someone says to you, do you want do you want to grow? Do you want to grow spiritually? Probably all of us would say yes. But when it happens, we very often say yes, but, I, but not like that. Okay, I didn't, want, I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't know it would be that difficult or that hard or that, or that painful. And we find ourselves asking why, right? Why, why God? Why are you allowing this? Why this level of, of hardship? And, and sometimes we think, especially if we don't have a lot of experience with, with God as the Bible reveals him, we tend to think, well, look, maybe God just wants to make our lives harder. 
Maybe he's controlling or vindictive or, or something like that. But if that was the case, the cross of Jesus would make no sense at all. I mean, if there was a God who just wanted to control us, just be like the puppet master, why, why in the world would he send his son to suffer and die for us? Why would he extend any, any grace at all? That's, that's not the reason. Jesus tells us in John 15, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's the point. He wants, he wants to increase a spiritual harvest in our lives. Just like an apple farmer spends a lot of time shaping the tree, cutting off all the branches, weeks and weeks up on a ladder just to get the, the trees to a point where they will be fruitful. So there'll be an abundance. That's, that's what he wants in our lives. So again, I think a fair question is, why, why do we resist it so much then? You know why? Why do we resist when it's so clear in Scripture? Look, God is at work. Everything he's doing for our good. And yet we really resist it. There's probably lots of reasons. But uh, here are two. Two main ones, I think. I think the reason we resist the, the pruning is because either we've had discipline in our lives that was too harsh or too soft. Like if we grew up with uh, a discipline or in a family environment where our parents were very harsh, very demanding, very controlling, very manipulative, then in our minds, discipline isn't for our good. It, it's for selfish reasons of the person who has control over us. And so that's going to make it very, very difficult for us to receive the discipline of God uh, with an open heart. Because we're, we're going to always be suspicious whenever that happens, that feeling of, of hardness. The person who has control, they could make it better. It's, it's probably for them. And so it's hard for us to embrace it. Or on the flip side, if we've had parents who were very, very permissive, it, it means probably that we associate genuine love with just us being able to do whatever we want. Because there wasn't really any discipline. Or there was just, you know, go do what you want have some more candy, watch some more screens, whatever it is, everything you're doing is great. And so that's, that's how we feel loved. And, and if ever anyone pushes back on us, we, we are totally disorientated, right? It only feels bad. It's only a negative impression. We can't, we can't connect the dots between this difficulty, this opposition, and actually being good for us because we don't, we don't want to feel the discomfort. And in both of those cases, I hope you see that, that really the problem is our own understanding of what God is doing. And really, if that's the case, either way, what's needed is for us to spend some time in the word shaping our mind and our heart to understand what God's discipline actually looks like. Like going to Hebrews 12, God disciplines the one he loves. That loving discipline is, I mean, that's a mark of love. That's what we're gonna talk about in the effective discipline class coming up on March 3rd. If there's a parent who doesn't discipline their child, it's not a mark of love, it's, it's a mark of um, apathy, of, of neglect. So we need to reshape the way that we understand what pruning is and the value of it. But there's some more work we need to do. And, and this brings us to number four. Now, number four is a little different. It's not just something to add to the list. Uh, number four kind of undergirds everything that we've seen so far uh, because it has something to do with our own understanding of our role in all of this. So here's number four. Number four, to grow, to have this spiritual harvest, we need to accept the fact that we are responsible for what grows in our lives. That we are responsible. Not God, 
Not anyone else, it, it's us. And you see this in the language of the text. You see a lot of second person uh, phrasing. Uh, in a verse like 11 13, uh, God says about Judah, Judah must plow. Right? Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. It's talking about what, what you need to do, Israel or us. And look at verse 13. God said, you have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lives. Because you have trusted in your own way, that's what you reap. He's putting it on, on the people. It seems clear that this expectation of, of the sowing and the reaping is on the people, is on us. If we want to see things grow, we are going to be the one who has to do it. And I'm pointing this out because I don't know that this is really clear for us a lot of the time. If you think about the way that we talk about our behavior, like how we act, uh, most of the time, I think we describe it in relation to other people, especially our bad behavior, right? We say things all the time like, uh, you know, if my children would just obey, then I wouldn't be so impatient at home. Or we say things like, you know, if, if my boss wasn't so demanding, wasn't so unreasonable, then, then I wouldn't be so irritable all the time when I come home. Or if my husband wasn't so closed off and, and lazy, I would, I would be much more respectful. Or if my wife wouldn't, wasn't on me all the time, I'd be so much more loving. Or if the government wasn't so un, you know, just corrupt, I wouldn't be so angry all the time. It's just a natural way that we see ourselves, right? It's in relation to others, and we tend to shift the responsibility for our growth or for our lack of growth by pointing to the people around us. But it's not even the people right now that we do this with, right? We, we also look to our past to try to explain why we are the way that we are. We, we, I think all of us have a list in our mind of grievances, kind of subconscious that we, that we react out of, that we live out of, and so we find ourselves very often, if anyone asks us or tries to dig a little deeper, we say, well, look, my, my mom was like this. This is how she was. This is what she did. Or my dad never did this. Or, or the kids at school or, or this circumstance in the past. We're very often pointing to the hurts of our past to explain and excuse the way that we are. And we say it in a way that's like there's, there's nothing that I can do about it. Now, now hear me. Certainly, certainly there have been hurts and disappointments and injustices in our lives in the past. And, and these should not be minimized. They shouldn't be dismissed. But if all we do is, is nurse those hurts, then we will never move forward. Like if all we do is, is point to them and, and allow them to fester and grow, we're always going to be stuck in the past. We will never be able to grow a genuine spiritual harvest in our lives. See, the good news of the gospel means that we can actually be new creations in Christ. That whatever we have done in the past, Right? Whatever sins we have committed, they're forgiven right? by, by God, by the, by the atoning work of Jesus, that we ourselves are made new, born again. But that also means that we are able to forgive the people in our lives because of what Jesus has done. Now, I'm not saying this is a, a quick or easy process, but it is possible and it's essential because otherwise we will always be hindered. Our, our potential for growth, our potential for change will always be stuck because we will look to the ones who've, 
who've wronged us or the things that we've done and we, we will not be actually able to grow. And yet God says, you need to grow. You need to do it. In fact, look at how this is described in the book of Philippians. Philippians 2.12, Paul again, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see the dynamic there. It's God's power, certainly, but you're the one who needs to do it. There's no one else who, who can do it. You are the one who needs to take the, the, the blessings of God, the, the gifted righteousness of God through Christ and actually live it out, actually work it out. So it's on us. Whatever is growing in our lives, we are responsible for it. And when we accept that, then we are actually able to, to grow because we are able to, to identify the, the seeds that are leading to the bad harvest and, and look for those good seeds that are going to lead to a, a harvest of blessing. We're not going to look to our friends, to our spouse, to our children, to our past. We aren't going to make excuses. We're going to own where we are. We're going to receive all of the blessings of God that actually makes a different path possible and then we're going to walk it. And we're going to be clear on the fact that it's us who needs to do it. We need to take the steps. We need to humble ourselves in prayer. Now, we don't do it alone. That's, that's why we're the church. And we don't do it in our own strength. But, but listen, there's no field anywhere with any crop, abundant crop, where the farmer says, I don't know how this happened. I just came here one day, and there's a crop. It's amazing. <laughs> Harvest, they don't just happen. There's no fruitfulness. There's no abundance of life that just happens. The principle is so clear in every other area of our lives, and yet spiritually, we seem unclear. And so here, Hosea, speaking to a people who were in habitual disobedience, who were in these cycles of sin and idolatry, he's saying, look, guys, you, you need to do this. You need, God has given you the ability by his power, by his strength, and that was even before the cross. Today, we have every resource available to us. All we need to do is, is to see our need and to turn to him, to seek the Lord and then walk out our salvation, work it out by the power of God and, and for our good. So that's my hope for us today, that we as a people would, would want that, that we wouldn't just talk about, you know, wishing we had a, a faith. We would see it begins with us today through the power of God. So let me pray that for us as we close. Lord Jesus, uh, we confess that we, we do tend to be a very hard-hearted people. That even for those of us who, who have experienced your saving work and, and have been in your word and have felt the conviction of your spirit, we still can drift into times where we are very hard-hearted, where we are ignoring the, the seeds that we're planting that are leading to a harvest of destruction we're ignoring the, the patterns of our lives where we're just plowing iniquity into our lives and over and over and over again. Lord, the truth is that uh, on our own, we would, we would have no hope. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that because you went to the cross, you made a way for us to have free access to God himself. And that in gifting us your spirit, we don't just have our own muddied conscience to, to, to lead us, but your spirit is there to convict us and lead us into all truth. And so I pray that that would happen, that we would be open to that. 
Lord God, I pray that we would see so clearly that you have given us the responsibility, that, that we, we are the ones who need to get on our knees. We are the ones who need to open the Bible. We are the ones who need to say to the people in our lives, look, can you help me? Can you help me to be accountable? Can you help me to, to see the things that I can't see clearly? Would you help me to, to be in prayer and to be in practice? Give me accountability because I, I don't want this kind of harvest in my life. I want a genuine harvest of faith. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we do that, we would experience your power and your grace all the more and that we would have a genuine sense of intimacy with you, that we would, we would know you're with us, that we would understand that your pruning is for our good, all of your work is for our good, that wherever you've led us, whatever's going on in our lives right now, as, as difficult as it is, Lord, that we can trust and have certainty that it is, it is for our blessing, it is for our growth. So please, Lord, do a good work in us today. For those of us who have no faith, may we see our need for you. And for those of us who have it, may we genuinely desire to grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.